We are not to dance with wolves. Um, We are to identify wolves and call them what they are and then steer clear of the wolves and warn others to do the same. So I want to begin by looking back here to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15 and 16. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And this is where we were last week. And, and then he said this. This is so helpful for us. How are we going to know who's a wolf if he looks like a sheep, you know, and he makes the noises of a sheep, but then all of a sudden his teeth show. And what is that? Well, you will recognize them by their fruits, by the display of their lives, sometimes in what they say, and a lot of times in how they live and the values that they propagate and encourage others to to live by. So we looked last week at 12 identifiers of wolves. One, wolves exist. Wolves are often found in churches. Wolves are sneaky. Wolves destroy with heretical teaching. The deeds of wolves usually denies their declaration. Well, of course I'm a Christian, but their life denies the claim. Wolves are often very popular Wolves promote sensuality. Wolves despise authority, we saw in our verses last week. They bring reproach upon the truth. They are greedy exploiters. Wolves proclaim falsehood. And wolves will perish under God's judgment. So that's where we were last week. If you missed last week, we encourage you to go to YouTube, go find our channel, and, and go back and listen through that. Um, we went through the text, and that's some of the points that jumped out. So I have four more identifiers of wolves and then a word about apostasy in our passage here today. The first point here is that wolves make proud and foolish claims. Wolves make proud and foolish claims. Look at the second half of verse 10 in chapter 2. Bold and willful, Peter says, they, that is false teachers, the wolves, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. We're going to get to the glorious ones and what that's all about, but first just consider this. Bold and willful, confident, self-willed, they don't tremble. Now, what, what Peter is saying is they should. They should be in utter terror of what they are doing, what they are dancing with when they make these blasphemies of the glorious ones. It's amazing how far confidence will go in our day. A confident claim. Someone who stands up and says, this is true, this is what I believe, and, and, and here's a verse or two, and, and follow me in this. Assertive, wolves, false teachers are often charismatic. They have really easy-to-connect-with personalities. They're, they're typically very warm and personable, well-spoken, oftentimes credentialed, right? Oftentimes followed by a number of people who nod and, and say yes. I remember being on a men's retreat um, early on, after I was married, I was on a men's retreat in a, in a church that was not, uh, turned out to be very unstable, as I mentioned last week. And we sat with 300 men in, in a retreat. And the speaker was so riveting, so compelling, so incredibly uh, able to just capture the, the hearts of every man in the room that my guard went up. I was like, this feels weird. Something must be off here because what is happening around me? I had never seen such a, a, an ability to wield and move with words and grab the men in their hearts. It turns out this man was uh, an, an open theist. Now that's, that's a heresy. He was describing a God who limits his ability to know the future because he makes so much of your free will and on and on and on. And uh, a lot of what he taught was absolutely backwards. It was psychology. It was upside down. And so as those things unfolded, I began to identify that and say, well, hold on now. We should, be, we should be pausing here and looking to the Word and saying, does this ring true? Is this what the Word says? Or is this some other stuff? So they, with great confidence and assertiveness and success, they make these bold and willful claims They don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now look at the contrast here. First question is, who are the glorious ones? I believe that they are fallen angels. They are demons, okay? 
Now, why would they be called the glorious ones? That's why I got stuck for about a day and a half here, just pounding away. Why would he say glorious ones when he's talking about demons? Well, they are of a different rank than human beings. They are far more powerful. They are to be trembled before. Uh, it's, it's why when angels appear to people, they say, fear not. It's like the first words, because they know what's going to happen. When you see an angel, you are falling on your face like a dead man. But these false teachers, they don't show the kind of regard and respect for a, a stronger class of creation, the glorious ones. And then the contrast is, whereas angels, I believe holy angels, though greater in might, this is his point, the contrast, greater in might and power, they don't pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, the false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. That's the heart of it. They blaspheme. They dishonor. They make these bold assertions and commands. And at the end of the day, especially knowing if they're not saved, what are they doing? They are incredibly vulnerable to that which they blaspheme and dishonor. In Jude chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, you see the contrast or the, 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 the text that parallels this. Listen to how Jude talked about it. Talking about false teachers, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, we saw that last week, and blaspheme the glorious ones. He says the same thing. But, here's the contrast, when uh, the archangel Michael was contending with the devil and disputing about the body of Moses. That's a, that's a fun rabbit hole to, to, to run down. What is going on there? Fun stuff, but we won't go there this morning. Okay, Michael and Satan are disputing about the body of Moses. And what Michael did is he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. What, what did he do? He looked to the sovereign God who is sovereign over Satan, sovereign over all, all the fallen angels, and he said, the Lord rebuke you. So you, you begin to kind of see what's going on here. In the category of spiritual warfare, there is a, you could say, no shortage of false teachers, okay? For some reason, there's, a, there's just a, a drawing to this category because I think it's, it's a way to make much of yourself and to somehow wield power that is impressive to people. And you can make claims like, I just cast a demon out of your alarm clock, and, and I'm going I'm to, right? I'm going to cast the demon out of your sickness and your illness, and I'm going I'm to sling this arrow, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to bind this, and I'm going to seize this. And Well, anyone can say that stuff. But here's the deal. It's real. Like, demons are real. We know this. We're not just playing games. Peter's saying they should be trembling. They are walking into territory that can so easily pounce upon them and destroy them. Reminds me of the sons of Sceva. Remember this in Jesus' ministry? Listen to how this went. God was doing extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out. So the Lord was just confirming Paul's apostolic authority in tremendously powerful and miraculous ways. And as these healings took place, they glorified God and they listened to Paul as an apostle. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. This is what they said to the, to the evil spirits. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <laughs> oh, if we could ever be a fly on the wall for this one. This would have gone viral on YouTube for sure. <laughs> Guarantee you. These were the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva who were doing this. The evil spirit answered them and said this, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? Little man. Now, they're, they're not saved. These people don't have the Lord. The man in whom was the evil spirit leapt upon them and mastered, that's a nice way of saying he beat them up. 
gave them a beatdown of their lives. It was UFC inside the house, full cage fight. And this is how it went out. They fled out of that. All seven of them fled naked and wounded, totally humiliated. That guy completely, it was one against seven, and he took them down. Now, it wasn't the man, it was the demon in the man. Peter is saying, we're not playing games here. This is serious stuff. And these false teachers who are slinging these words around and blaspheming the the fallen angels, they are going to open themselves to demonic attack and possession. And I got to tell you this, that happens in our day. There are ministries with false teachers at the helm who I believe are demon-possessed or certainly demon-employed to bring about a, a turning away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and a turning into a, an obsession of, of the supernatural so that you chase one experience of, of liver quiver after the next. And then the gold dust, which is solophane, chopped up and blown through the, uh, through the vents, right? And on and on, fire tunnels. What? Some of this stuff is satanic. Some of it is straight up satanic. Satan loves it. When false teachers mess with, with, with a realm that they are completely outranked by. Hmm. Binding, casting, waking, soaking, commanding, rebuking, releasing. Now to be clear, there is a place, I believe, and a time for the believer to stand firm in the Lord. The Lord rebuke, right? It is the sovereign God. And we, we, we're not saying that demons are not real. Much the opposite. We believe they are real. We don't fear them. We have God in His Spirit dwelling in us. We cannot be possessed. We are to stand firm to shine. But these who are unsaved, who wield these words, they are in great danger and many times used by Satan to do exactly what he wants, distract from Christ. Give an example. Benny Johnson, who is Bill Johnson's wife, they share as senior pastors of Bethel Church, and they're involved in Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Just a word of caution, if you didn't catch it last week, all things Bethel, run the other way. I I would add their music. Don't trust the lyrics. Even though sometimes some of their songs say true things, we don't sing them. Because they are attached to a ministry that is, I would say, a playground for Satan right now, down in Redding, California. Recently, there was a pastor from Whatcom County that moved to Redding, and they're excited about attending this church. This is a, a, a satanic playground filled with false teaching. One of the ways they get people's attention is by their music. It's all over the radio. So listen to what Benny Johnson, this is Bill's wife, says. A group of us had decided it was time to take a prayer trip down to Sedona. Now, who's been to Sedona recently? You guys okay? Has anyone noticed some weird stuff going on in Sedona? It is a bit of a hub for the New Age, the crystal movement, uh, spirit searching. Jenny had a guy come up and ask her where the convergence was or... Where is the vortex? He, it's just randomly. He walks up. He's like, hey, do you know where the vortex is? She's like, uh, what in the world are you talking about? So they decide, let's go down to Sedona and release more of God's kingdom. That, so they're going to release it, okay? One morning as we're driving, she said, I began to feel angels. The closer we got, the stronger the impression felt. I could see them everywhere. That's a claim, okay? That's a claim. Don't don't miss that. She's claiming to see angels everywhere. I said, I think we're going to wake up some angels here. We jumped out of the RV. I blew the shofar and rang the bell because that's angel waking things. (laughs) And then we yelled, wakey. (laughs) I was like, seriously, where does this come from? It's not from here. Wakey, wakey. As we drove off, hilarious laughter broke out. Well, that's not surprising. I I, I mean, what in the world just happened? She says, heaven collided with earth. 
You know what I say? Dangerous things just happened. Things that she was leading others who were undiscerning in. They're like, what is going on? And that's the question they should have stuck on a little longer. What is this? It is nothing of the Word. Nothing of God here that's happening. It is not our responsibility to wake up angels. <laughs> when do angels sleep? Is that, is that a thing? They don't sleep. They're angels. Bill, her husband, said this, There are anointings, mantles, revelations, and mysteries that have lain unclaimed, literally where they were left because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. I believe, he says, it's possible for us to recover realms of anointing, realms of insight, realms of God that have been uh, untended for decades. We, We can recover them simply by choosing to reclaim them and perpetuate them for future generations. This has led to what is referred to as grave-sucking or grave-soaking, where students from the school and others would gather at the graves of notable um, revivalists of yesteryear, and they would lay on their headstone over where they're laid, and they would pray that they could suck out the anointing of the dead guy into themselves and be used in that way. What, you know what that's inviting? Demon possession. That's exactly what that's inviting. This is absolutely ludicrous behavior and dangerous. This is the kind of stuff that just is proclaimed boldly, self-willed, with confidence. Go get your mantle. Go get your supernatural, you know, you know I don't know what that thing is that that dude wields around your, your wizard stick, right? Go get it from the dead guy who's been buried for 100 years. This is dangerous, and it is leading people astray. It has nothing to do with the Lord. False teachers will be destroyed in their destruction, Peter says. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Whoa! A lot of interpreters believe that that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. They're feasting with you. They're partaking with you of the Lord's Supper while they are reveling in their sin and carrying with them these claims of falsehood. What do these believers need to do? Identify that and send it packing. You don't hug wolves. You send them out the door. I had a man here about three months ago who came in with false teaching, very confidently and very aggressively. The first Sunday, I was just trying to get a feel for where he was at, and he, he, made, he made the rounds and, and brought his assertions of annihilationism. There, there is no unending punishment in the fires of hell. It's just you're, you're, you're zapped and you're gone. And he did this so aggressively that I, I, I understood this guy is dangerous. He is, he is endangering sheep. The next Sunday he came back and he jumped me right after this. I barely got off the stage. And he was attacking me saying you're not in the spirit and on and on and on. And I just showed him the door. I, I showed him the door. I said, listen, we're not on the same page here. And I don't think you need to be here. I think you need to leave. And by the grace of God, he did leave. He didn't go after any other people in the room. He went out the door. That is sometimes what is necessary of a shepherd or an elder to do in protection of the flock. Sometimes, if you identify a threatening person who's coming in with falsehood, you show them the door in love. That man needs Jesus, he needs repentance. But he is not safe to just wander around in the flock. The second thing wolves do this week in our text is they prey upon the weak. Verse 14, they prey upon the weak. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. And then Peter says this, accursed children. They are cursed of God. 
This behavior is absolutely unacceptable. And God has no time for it in His church. Eyes full of adultery. Pride, lust, adultery. These are inseparable. They go together. And oftentimes, even in pulpits, there are people who are so absolutely lost in their own desires that they cannot walk through a church without lusting after almost every single person they run into in the flock. We are to love one another as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. It is so easy for for those who are lost, these words, eyes full of adultery. What do they see? A target. Another conquest. This is completely opposite of the self-control that is to define the people of God. Men, when you talk with other women in the church, I've said this before, in, in, in a sense, hold their face. Lock eyes with them right here. This is where we live, men. We live here. I was appalled when I was sitting in a church in California in the back on the aisle, and I was able to see men sitting in church in front of me. And a woman came late to church, and she walked down that aisle. And nearly every single man did one of those. In church! Self-control, my brothers. We're dealing with sisters here. Sisters in the Lord. The work of, of, of connecting with your eyes, covenanting with your heart, treasuring righteousness, killing sin. Don't give a place to pornography in your life. Don't give a hold for that. It will not be happy to stay there. It will want to express itself in all kinds of ways. Adultery doesn't happen overnight. It is the, the, the culmination of a thousand decisions before it. We live in a day where so many say, what do you mean pornography is wrong? What's wrong with it? It is absolutely toxic to your soul. The fruit of the Spirit flies against all of this. And we are called to a higher standard. As believers, they entice unsteady souls. This is a a temptation, a luring away for their purposes, right? Their greed, their lust, their adultery. And oh, how many stories have we read in the news, even in this county of pastors who have given way to this kind of behavior. They entice unsteady souls. I would just say this. When folks come and they are saved, they are spiritual newborns. And it is ours not just to evangelize, but to disciple but to raise up, to strengthen in the Lord. The the importance of discipleship. Parents, think about your kids. Your children need to be rooted and established in the Word of God. It's not enough that they just are saved in the gospel. Those who are saved are set on the path of sanctification. We need to work together, all of us, especially for those who are newborn spiritually or young in the Lord, to strengthen them up, raise them up, help them to know What is the truth of God's Word? So that they can stand when they head off to college and that professor who sounds wonderful but has his goal to chop the roots of their faith completely down. They need to know how to identify that. No, no, that's false teaching. That is not okay. And they learn to stiff arm it. Someone was saying it's it's easy to spot the teacher who walks in in a godless approach, the atheist teacher, right? You automatically have your guard up. But what about when you go to that Christian school, right, down the road, and, and, and you're supposed to trust what they say, and they come in and they open with prayer, and you're like, okay, this is great. You let your guard down, and then bam! They pull you in to falsehood. The Word of God, once again, oh, friends, this is the foundation Upon which we stand. Test every truth claim. Test it by the Word of God. Hold on to that which squares with the Word of God and release everything else. Third, wolves profit profit from evil. 
verses 16, 15 and 16. They profit from evil. This is a fascinating reference here. Listen to how Peter says it. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. Okay, so instantly we're back in Numbers 22 through 24, getting to know this, this wicked prophet Balaam, the son of Bor, who, who uh, loved gain from wrongdoing. So you want to know what the way of Balaam is? There it is. To love gain from wrongdoing. He was rebuked for his own transgression <laughs> when a speechless donkey, his donkey, by the way, whom he had struck three times, quite, you know, uh, firmly, for disobeying him, and he's trying to get his donkey to go where he wants, and the Lord is, has an angel in the way, and this donkey's like, I'm not going there, and he whacks him, and so the donkey's like, okay, fine. And finally, the third time he hits him, the Lord gives this donkey a voice like a man, and he's like, what's with all of hitting me? Don't you see? Finally, his eyes were opened to see the angel that was blocking his way. God can restrain as he pleases. He used a donkey to speak to a wicked prophet and stop him in his disobedience. I'm often encouraged by this. When I drive in, many times I'm praying, Lord, restrain false teaching in our county. Restrain those who bring error and corruption to the pulpit. Restrain them and guard us from the same. Help us, keep us in your word, faithful and true. Balaam the wicked prophet, it was Barak the king of the Moabites and the, and the, um, the elders of Midian that saw the people of God camped and they said, there are too many, we're in danger. So they want to hire Balaam to go and curse God's people. And, uh, and he sees the money hanging out there and he's like, that's a pretty good deal, right? So as he goes to curse God's people, the Lord changes what he was thinking of saying into a blessing. He ends up blessing God's people three times. And they're like, ah, stop that. You want to get paid? That's, you're doing the opposite of what we called you to do. Well, it turns out he found a way to get paid. We read in Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Pergamum, I have a few things against you, the Lord says. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Listen to what he did who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they may eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. In other words, he got paid. And by the way, he, he died. The Lord took him out by the sword. What is this? goes back to the heart. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then here's a very clear and simple state, statement that, that echoes through all of time. You cannot serve God and money. So what's happening in situations all around the world, even today, in pulpits, in, 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 in writing, in these, uh, what do you call these, these weird events? It's like, it's more of a show that Rob Bell does now. He has like the Rob Bell show that he puts on, rents a theater, fills it up, and then propagates falsehood for profit. He sells tickets to hear him speak false things. You cannot serve God and money. Greed will define false teachers. Fourth, Wolves promise but never deliver. This is so clear. Wolves promise but never deliver. Verse 17. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm, false teachers. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Look at the wrath that is being stored up. Don't, don't fail to be encouraged by this and at the same time tremble, right? God knows those who lead others astray, and he is, he is reserving for them darkness and punishment and wrath. They are waterless springs. What is that? It's like if you're in the desert and you're parched and you're just dying for water, and you see in the distance, you're like, sweet, a lake, going to be saved, and you run and you dive and you come up with a mouthful of sand. It's a mirage. There's no water there. 
You might think there's trees, but it dried up long ago. There's nothing there. Or mist driven by a storm. You see a storm coming, you're like, oh, there's rain in those clouds. And then it comes and it goes over. No rain. No rain. That's what false teachers do. Speaking loud boasts of folly. Loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So there again, the weak, either the spiritual newborns or those who are just in church and just beginning to to see and connect, and they sweep in with a form of godliness but denying its power, and off into the weeds they take them. Hmm. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. No one should tell you how to live. Don't worry about that outdated book, the Bible. Break free from the rules and live a little. Loosen up already. Be free. Oh, by the way, it's your body. It should be your choice, right? Who's to tell you who you can and cannot live with, right? Are you in love? Do your thing. There are pastors in this county who care nothing about the, the, the status of those who are engaged. They will marry anybody, not even asking, are you living together? Are you having sex before you're married? I have had people who have come to me for, asking me to do their wedding, and I've asked those questions. I usually ask them right away, and they're like, well, yeah, of course we're living together. Who doesn't, right? That's normal. That's, that's what... I'm like, okay, then I can't, I can't do your wedding unless you immediately, like today, move out and begin to honor the Lord. If you want to honor the Lord, this is step one. They go down the road and they get married. It's your body. You choose. You need to experience real freedom. You call yourself a Christian? Or are you stuck on all these rules? Come feel the wind in your face. Come feel this freedom. There's no consequences. Oh, we're going to see that next week, right? There's no consequences. Don't worry about the consequences. You think of someone who's on the verge of jumping from a, a skydiving plane, right? They hear these words. It's free. Come feel the wind in your face. Just jump with me. A tandem jump, okay? A tandem Because you're, you're, you're attaching yourself to a teacher. You're following a teaching of falsehood, but it sounds so good. Turn your back on Jesus. Walk away from the church. You don't need all those losers, those killjoys, those rule followers. Come be free with us. And out she goes. Now she goes. She takes the jump. And then she begins, she's like, oh, it's great. Feel the wind in my face. This is awesome. And then she's like, you know, I forgot to ask you, do you have a parachute? Because I don't have, I'm, I'm attached to you. Only to hear the false teacher say, why are you worried about landing? I'm just focused on falling. Quit thinking about landing. That's not a problem. Just fall with me. It feels great. And they plummet to their demise. The false teacher and all who follow them. Listen, young people. Be on guard. Stand firm in the Lord. Don't let anyone turn you away from Jesus. Stick on the Word of God. Stay true to that. To do anything else is suicide. It's spiritual suicide. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves. Slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Mastered by sex, mastered by money, mastered by any impulse to do whatever I want, and I will turn that into a market-driven success so that I can make money leading others to do the same. It's prison. Just know this. You are never not a slave. To say it positively, you'll always be a slave. Either to sin... Or to Christ. There is no, I'm free to be me. No, you're a slave to you. That, that's what you are. You, you're a slave to yourself, which is, you're a slave to sin. 
you're a slave to your own desires and impulses. You don't want that. That will destroy you. Repentance from sin is a running to embrace the lordship and, and salvation of Christ. It says, be my king. Enslave me, Jesus. There is no happier slave than the slave of Christ. That's freedom. That's freedom. Now, apostasy and accountability. These are challenging verses, so let's look at these together. We'll begin with verse 20. Peter says this, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. And honestly, if, if these were the only verses we had in our Bibles, we would conclude, well, I guess you can lose your salvation. I guess it is possible to be a Christian and then just not be a Christian. But friends, we have a volume of verses, a ton of verses that say very clearly that once you are saved from your sins, you are eternally secure in Christ. So a few words. We, we interpret Scripture with Scripture when we come to verses like this. What is this verse saying? Well, we know what it's not saying, right? Because all of the other verses that say that, that we are held by Christ. Number one, it is impossible for a true Christian to lose their salvation. Full stop. Period. Statement. Fact. Scripture is clear on this. God never, never unjustifies those He has justified. He never quits and gives up. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to finish it into the day of Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, all those whom He foreknew, that is, foreloved, forechose in sovereign election. He predestined, that is, unto holiness through Jesus Christ. And then He called them to life. And He justified them, declared them righteous, and glorified them. That is, brought them all the way home to glory. Sanctified in there is assumed. So that chain is unbreakable. Jesus says in John 6, all that the Father has given me will come to me and I will raise them up on the last day. I will lose nothing of all He has given me. So every single person God chose in eternity past will be drawn by the Father, come to Christ, be saved powerfully by God, be kept by God, and raised up and glorified to be with Him forever. It's not in doubt. So number two, God uses even the warnings of His Word to preserve His elect and keep them in persevering faith unto the end. Note this. I mean, so much even in the book of Hebrews is filled with this. Christians, keep believing. Keep believing. Don't turn away. Don't forsake Christ. Keep believing. Well, those are real warnings, right? And they are employed by God to keep believers in the faith. A Christian will hear a warning like that and say, yes, Lord, yes, keep me. I trust you. Help me to hold fast to you no matter what, no matter if suffering comes, no matter if the trials are hard, no matter if it's difficult and I have to lose everything. Keep me. I'm holding on to you. Where else would I go? Number three, it is possible for someone to appear to be a Christian and yet not be saved. The parable of the soil and the seed. Remember this? The sower is casting the seeds. The gospel is being proclaimed. It falls on different soils. And one of those soils is, is the soil where it springs up quick. And it seems like, wow, there's so much happening here. But just under the surface, there's rocks. And as the heat comes out, it, and the scorching heat hits that, that little plant, it just fades and falls to the earth. What does that mean? It means that the soil did not... It didn't take root. There is no saving faith in those who fail to persevere in the faith. That's what it shows. So it may look amazing. They may say, I, I confess Christ. They might even be baptized. They might even display some change in their life. But if it fizzles when the sun shines hot 
and temptation comes. Or the call to go back to what they were delivered from begins to pull them back in. And they go there. They were not saved. Or they are in rebellion and God will have His chosen. And He will wake them from their sinful rebellion and draw them back. Sometimes with great firm and, and, and stern discipline. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Key words, circle that. They went out from us, but they were not of us. That is, they weren't saved. For if they would have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may become plain that they are all not of us. That is, those who follow false teachers, those who give themselves to wanton desire and throw themselves for the things of this world, turn their back on Christ. Almost all of us know someone in that category. And we scratch our heads. What was that? What happened there? It seemed like, oh, they were, right? I remember at the youth camp, they walked the aisle and, and this, and it was just like they were on fire. They were on the worship team and doing this. And now... They care nothing for Christ. They live godlessly in the dark. What is that? That is a person who was never saved. That's what's going on. What do they need? They need the gospel. They need the gospel. Let me just encourage you. Conversionism puts far too much confidence in what you do. You see the, the, the problem with this? Well, I walk the aisle. I raised my hand. I did this. I, did, I was baptized. No. None of that saves you. None of it saves you. What is it that saves us? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The call isn't, what did you do? The, the call is, what did Jesus do? And what do you believe? Do you trust Jesus today? Today. Parents who pray for children don't cling to the confidence of a past experience. Cling to the confidence of a gospel who can save your children today. Today. Pray for them. Oh Lord, open their eyes. Do what they cannot. Change their heart. Do what they cannot. Stir in them life in Christ. Do what they cannot. And proclaim the gospel to them. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that would be they have experienced some kind of profound statement of, of, of claim on Christianity and even maybe a, a change for a period of time. If then they are entangled again in the stuff that they were delivered out of, they go back with all their heart into that mess. The last state has become worse for them than the first. What does this mean? Worse? How can it be worse? Peter says, It would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Are we to conclude that we should not evangelize because it makes it worse for people? No, definitely not. He says, What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. The sow after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. The conclusion is this. Unless there is an inward transformation accomplished by God, we will do what we are inclined to do, which is rebel and run back into the muck and the mud all the way to the fires of hell. That is left to ourselves. That's what we do. And there are people who may have proximity to the church. They may be in this room right now hearing the Word of God preached. And in a year or two, they are going to say, I'm done with this. I don't want it. I want to go the way of the world. I'm tired of fighting. I give up. I surrender to the path of darkness. And you begin to chase your desires and wallow in the mud. Be warned. Be warned. By Peter today. What you are hearing today, you are accountable for. What you hear today, you will give account for if you turn your back on Christ and walk away. The been there, done that, not interested response. Sadly, we have dealt with this even among family members, extended family. 
kids growing up in the church, you reach out with the gospel, and it's just like, oh, don't give me that Jesus, man. I, I already did. I know, I know everything you're talking about. It did nothing for me. I got no time for that. And usually what they'll talk about is all of the hypocrisy that they can find to justify their hard-hearted response to Jesus. It is very difficult to break through that hardening of the heart resistance when people walk away from the church. But know this, each person is held accountable for the revelation they have received. Okay? This is why it's worse for them. It's worse for them. Why? Because they've heard the gospel. They've seen the way of righteousness. They've been around believers. They understand the truth. They've heard the preaching of God about what is right and good and true versus what is evil and corrupt and abominable. They know it with their mind, and they reject it, and they turn aside. Jesus said this, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you, Chorazin, or uh, what's the other one up there? Capernaum. If, if the mighty works that I had performed were done in them, they would have repented long ago. What's he saying? You're accountable. Your hard-hearted rejection of me, Jesus says, is going to ring into eternity with judgment. God is just. He doesn't punish us for things that we didn't know about. However, we are punished exactly and precisely and eternally for the things that we have rebelled against. Now, Romans 1 says that every sinner who is born on this earth has enough revelation of God and His attributes, Romans 1, that, that we are damned because we have rejected Him. We suppress that truth. We turn against Him and we choose ourselves. But those who are in church who have heard the proclamation of the gospel, all the more are they held accountable by God. And those who are false teachers who lead people away from the gospel, you think how many are in that camp? How many grew up in the church? How many have this pretty impressive resume and yet they deny Christ? They will carry the accountability a millionfold for all of those who follow in that path because of them. Hmm. Our response this morning, I, I was struck by this. Jenny's like, how's the sermon? And I'm like, it's heavy. This is heavy. This is not one of those Christmas sermons you're like, oh, this is going to be sweet. We're going to run out of church skipping and singing it. No, it's like, oh, this is the world in which we live. It is the same as it was in Peter's day. There's nothing new under the sun. So two things to call us to in response. Number one, a serious warning. A serious warning. Hear these words, oh friends, and, and, and walk in the fear of the Lord. Walk in the fear of God. That's where wisdom begins. He warns for our good. This is a good warning to hear and heed. If you turn aside from Christ and you walk away from His Word and what is true and good and right, you will be judged for all that you reject. And you will perish in the fires of hell unless you turn in repentance. Hear that today as a loving warning of God. But we also have a certain promise. This is where it ends with the bright light of the gospel because the door is open today. The door is open today. You might be here and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not. You can know today if you are a Christian or not. And here's how it goes. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the one who was born and lived with no sin in his life, the one who took the cross and laid his life down to suffer and die to pay for the sins of all who believe in him, the one who was raised after three days and ascended to the right hand of the Almighty, who is coming again, turn from your sins and bow before this sovereign king, embrace his finished work on your behalf and you will will be saved.
You will be saved. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Do you see the inseparable connection between justification and sanctification? You can never separate these. We've got an entire sermon coming up in, in a series we're working on that's going to build this out. How important it is. Those who are truly saved will grow in holiness. Period. They will because they want to. They love the Lord. They want to obey His Word and know Him and walk with Him. Are they going to do it perfectly? No. But they are going to grow. He will be their Lord. If you do not obey the Son, you shall not see life. But the reality then today is the wrath of God remains upon you. The warning and the promise. The warning and the, they go together, don't they? They go together. Let's pray. Oh, glorious God and our Savior Jesus Christ, the wonder of your love astounds us. We are in awe that you would come to meet us, the rebels, the sinners, the haters of you, those who left to ourselves, would rebel all the way to the fires of hell. But you loved us so that you, you would reach us, you, you, you would reach us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and stir in us life. Turn our gaze to see your Son. Open our eyes from being blinded to see his glory. Change our hearts from within to give us new life and cause us to walk in your way. Thank you for this love, O oh God. We delight in it. Thank you for the warnings of your word. We embrace them today. Oh, Father, I pray that everyone in this room would heed the warnings that Peter has given us to run away from those who would lead astray from you, who would cast doubt upon your word or twist it up to make it say things it doesn't say. Give us discernment, we pray. Give us a backbone that is strong to stand upon your word and to trust you no matter what. Father, even if an angel from heaven, someone were to come and proclaim a gospel contrary to that which we have received, may they be accursed. And may you silence them, O Lord, that they may not lead others astray. Thank you for giving us ears to hear your word, to see the beauty and glory of our Son, of your Son, our Savior. May he be our joy and confidence as we walk in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.